may be asking yourself, war, what is it good for? If you're Harrison Ford in the late 70s, it's good for your career, as he found himself in the war-based movies Heroes, Force 10 from Navarone, Apocalypse Now, and this week's film, Hanover Street. It's the Ford Fiesta! I'm the Paul Preston Holiday Special. And I'm regarding Adam Witt. This week, Harrison Ford makes another bold choice in the wake of Star Wars with a dewy, uh, beautifully shot, romantic movie that the audiences did not fall in love with as much as this movie fell in love with itself. Yes, Peter Hyams gets his David Lean on as he brings us a giant war epic. And uh, we're going to talk about it like we talk about all of these movies. So if you're listening to us go on about Harrison Ford... It's what we do. And please share it with folks. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Share and like posts. Subscribe where you can. Get on social media and say, are you listening to what these guys are going on about? Because uh, perhaps these are new movies to you. But before we talk about and Over Street, what's new in the world of Harrison Ford? We like to talk news and uh, some stuff went on. This is a pretty cool story. Uh, you know. Again, he's injured, so he's out just wandering the earth because he can't shoot. <laughs> like Kane and Kung Fu, right? Yeah, he can't shoot Indiana Jones 5 right now. So he found himself at a London uh, fire brigade fire. talking to a member there and congratulating him in person with a well wish at his station because the fireman is retiring after 31 years of service. Now, that's pretty cool. That's right? pretty You're cool. Just, Who's coming yeah. to your retirement ceremony? Uh, Harrison Ford, the star of Firewall, another fire-based movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fire! And uh, so, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I think he just showed up and got out of the car and was like, hey, I heard you have been doing great things for London, and congratulations. <laughs> wow. Who are you? Yeah. All right. Hi, Harrison Ford. <laughs> And cracking the top ten on Netflix, The Secret Life of Pets 2. That made kind of news because the movie was a meh box office thing, and now on Netflix it's taken off. People want to see the only time Harrison Ford had ever voiced an animated character. I can't believe we haven't seen it yet. I it's can't, a, no, I haven't seen it. I can't wait one. to get to it. That's a reason we're doing this because there's plenty of his movies that we've missed. This is one of them, and now people are discovering it on Netflix. So it's out there. Secret Life of Pets 2. He plays Rooster. Name's Rooster. Farm dog, I believe. I love that he found the comedy in that gruff demeanor voice that yeah. he's got. He's found the comedy in that, and also in Morning Glory. He just gets all the jokes out of just saying things that subtle and that low and that Harrison Ford. Kid gets hurt. He learns not to do it again. You know how many electric cords I've chewed? One. And if you Google Harrison Ford news, that's eh, more about Ford's injury being apparently worse than first reported. They love to go out about that. And then they just make up stuff like Harrison Ford spotted in London in sunglasses with his sunglasses on inside a supermarket. Maybe trying not to be spotted? You think maybe? Ha Harrison Ford spotted trying not to be spotted. <laughs> <laughs> trying not to be seen. He cannot be seen. One more quick recurring show segment before we get to Overstreet. This date in Ford history. Oh, tell us about that first one, Adam. This is the kind of thing you love. I love this. Okay, August 17th, 2000. 
Harrison Ford, noted hero in movies, rescues a hiker. In Teton County, Wyoming, uh, she had succumbed to altitude sickness and dehydration because, uh, because of course, he's a, a Wyoming volunteer search and rescue helicopter pilot. He's literally a volunteer search and rescue helicopter pilot. Uh, and so he saved this uh, woman who was, needed to be saved. And then a year later, he rescues a Boy Scout who got lost in the wilderness. I mean, you talk about, like, how great it is to retire from the fire department. Oh, here comes Harrison Ford to enjoy some cake with you on, on your big day of retirement. Imagine getting saved, your life saved by Han Solo, Indiana Jones, <laughs> the guy from Firewall. Like, <laughs> Harrison Ford shows up to save your life flying you flying in <laughs> like Han Solo. I mean this guy's literally this guy's he's the best I mean it's amazing oh my god it's extraordinary measures is Han Solo <laughs> Harrison Ford <laughs> you think that's what she said when she finally got better I was like hey thanks for taking extraordinary measures to come get me <laughs> not the reference she made maybe <laughs> the London the, the guy who retired was just thankful that you know Harrison Ford did this in Wyoming he's like put me out of a job yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's retiring because Harrison Ford just saved too many people now that he's on leave from Indiana Jones 5. We'll hear about those stories soon enough. In the Alps, Harrison Ford was just flying around and I saw someone struggling with the altitude. Has The Rock saved any actual lives? I don't think so. Mm. Tom Cruise for sure. Oh, Tom Cruise has. Yes. And that yeah. is amazing. He has saved people. That's, that's also <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. <laughs> August 27th, 1960, Ford enters, is it Ripon? Ripon College? I don't know. Ripon, Rip, Ripon, Ripon College? Ripon, Ripon, in, Wisconsin. College in Wisconsin. R-I-P-O-N. If you know, please leave a message for us. We'd love to know what that college is called. Ripon. He majors in philosophy, doesn't graduate, went into acting classes in his senior year to get over his shyness, which you can see in interviews. He's never like the biggest fan of doing interviews Uh, and then acting stuck. So he almost, yeah, didn't do that. Almost quit before, but he stuck around long enough to take the classes. He didn't graduate biggest movie star in the world. Major move. I was one credit shy of graduating on time. So I had to spend an entire, again, it's my hometown. I mean, I'm going to college in my hometown, so who cares? But um, I spent the entire next college doing one credit hour. No, I needed that last year because I was taking all of the general college program courses up until then. But my senior year, I was focused solely on acting and theater. And so that's when the, the, the grades got really good. And it brought my overall four years up. Earlier, when I had to take weather and climate and, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, those were not the greatest grades. So I needed these ones at the end to sort of bring the overall well up over three point. Knowledge was their treasure. Oh man, when I when I ventured out of my major, I was like, you know, people should know things like statistics, or people should know things like uh, um, Western civilization. And I would I would do that sort of thing where I'd venture out of my very safe major where we watched movies and did video stuff, and then I would go do a Western civilization class. I mean, I could not have gotten out of there fast enough. I was like, nope, back to acting and mass com. Yeah, that's the thing. I would take a class and. If it wasn't working out, I'd quit. I'd just go take it up in the summer or something and make it up later until it got to be like right towards the end. And I had to take a class in summer and pass it in order for all the the last years to count, you know. So it was like, ooh, all right. You want to know how I fulfilled my one last credit hour? I talked I talked my um, one of my student counselors. I talked him into letting me write a screenplay. And I wrote a superhero screenplay. 
And that was how I got my last credit hour. <laughs> of course you did. Uh, of course I did, right? Is that, is that the most on-brand, while working in a video store, this is the most on-brand thing. <laughs> uh, and September 7th, 1995, Harrison Ford testifies before the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee in support of the Dalai Lama. And I say, hey, Lama, hey. A bunch of celebrities gathered around the Dalai Lama. Uh, he did narrate a film uh, called Dalai Lama Renaissance. We're not going to cover that here. No. Uh, <laughs> about about the Dalai Lama and independent Tibet and everything. But, um, yeah, that was, was, was a big deal to him. And, he, you know, he walks a walk. Well, I mean, he he toured with the Doors. He's an old hippie, you know. <laughs> he was right. friends with David Carradine. So, yeah, he's, he's uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dalai Lama, That's that's got to be near and dear to his heart. Gunga Galunga. Gunga Gunga Galunga. Because the Dalai Lama's homeland is something, something. That's how much I followed it. <laughs> Tibet. Tibet. Right, right, right. Tibet. See, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. A, but man, he <laughs> saves a hiker. Oh, uh, that's. Let's go back to what's important. Yeah. You think you're out of it uh, in the Tetons and you're done? Nope. Here comes Harrison. Here comes the helicopter. Here comes a helicopter. Oh, thank you. I'm saved. Oh my God. By Han Solo. Everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? But enough about uh, Tibet, is it? Let's talk about Harrison Ford <laughs> in the 1979, 79 is it? Tibet, is it? World War II drama Hanover Street. Let's do the patented movie guys recap. Ready? Let's do it. Hanover Street tells the story of an Air Force bombing crew in World War II. But that's not really what this movie is about. For the first time in his career, a movie we're covering is all about Harrison Ford. Nice. Ford plays David Halloran, an Air Force pilot, that this movie is about. After an opening title crawl of earnestness porn and curly Q script against Bob Ross clouds, evoking a classic Hollywood sentimentality that Frank Capra would call a little much, we meet David Halloran, an Air Force pilot stationed in London. One day, while taking time off from fighting another evil empire, he happens across a British nurse, Margaret Selinger, on Hanover Street, which reminds me of this movie I saw once. They hit it off thanks to the incredible charm of Harrison Ford, which is on display in a whole new way for him. But their meet-cute turns meet-Beirut when London is suddenly bombed by a German squadron, giving them a reason to remember their anniversary. When the dust settles, they agree to meet back on the same corner, which Halloran declares he will be at every day. But Halloran's next day is booked up with his other pastime, fighting Nazis. Nazis. I hate these guys. As we see Harrison Ford, famous real-life pilot, behind the controls of a fighter plane for the second movie in a row. The cockpit plays like a workplace comedy. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? With his bombardier, Jerry Cimino, played by Richard Mazur, complaining about the job and nothing but punchlines. Air isn't heavy, you know? This pilot junk is heavy. It's heavier than air. Much heavier. Don't you see? This thing is not supposed to be up in the air. And if the name Cimino sounds familiar to you film fans, so should the names of the other soldiers in this movie, Wells, Lester, and Lucas. The crew of the B-25 flies into war under the steady hand of Harrison Ford, but are unable to fly casual due to taking heavy fire from the German guns and the aggressive shaking of the camera. Despite the cinematographer's inner ear problems, they all make it out alive. 
Halloran waits on the corner of Hanover Street the next day, waiting for Margaret, but distracted by how quickly they cleaned up the street that exploded the day before. Just as he gives up on her, and the sentimental section of the orchestra begins to pack up their violins, she arrives. After montaging their day together, the two retire to Halloran's bed, where Harrison Ford receives his first on-screen kiss and goes shirtless for the first time. Things would seem to be going smoothly for the new couple. The only problem is she is married to Paul Selinger, a member of British intelligence played by Christopher Plummer, who's a decent man, just a bit of a stiff, on top of being, as any eagle-eyed viewer will tell you, not Harrison Ford. The crew board their B-25 for another bombing run when a noise in the engine causes him to get second thoughts, and he aborts, telling army mechanic Lucas, played by John Ratzenberger, to check the engine. If you think the name Lucas sounds familiar, that's because the director, Peter Hyams, is a huge fan of the Corey Hay movie, Lucas. Halloran is replaced by another pilot to fly in his stead. Oh, your life insurance forms came for you to sign. Oh, my mirror. I'll sign it when I get back. I'm in a jet. What could go wrong? When the substitute pilot goes up, Halloran gets Leslie Ann down with Margaret. Harrison Ford casts aside his action figure wide shot and moves up to the level of the classic soft focus close-up. What Hollywood looks like on its driver's license. The event unlocks the Harrison Ford anger achievement as Halloran marches down to the airfield to give the mechanic a gale force shouting point. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Britishness gives Paul Selinger his mission assignment, but not before lighting its pipe and having tea and a biscuit. The mission? He's to go behind enemy lines, sneak into German headquarters and steal... A knock list? I think it's a knock list. I mean, why wouldn't it be? They've got a spy and an airplane, but... But who's going to fly it, kid? I'll tell you who's going to fly it. The guy who's having an affair with Selinger's wife, that's who. In a plot that will ring familiar with listeners of the Ford Fiesta, Harrison Ford is asked to fly a British officer behind enemy lines. But if you want a symbol of how different this movie is than Force 10 from Navarone, instead of Quint and Apollo Creed, he's flying George Von Trapp. Their plane gets bombarded with German gunfire and disabled. And with all the subtlety the director of Time Cop can muster, his co-pilot is killed off-screen, even though he never cut away from the cockpit. And for the second time in as many movies, Harrison Ford is downed behind enemy lines in Germany. This time, however, it's with the husband of the woman he's having an affair with. The odds against it were a million to one, but what the hell? Why write a second draft? Halloran's mission was simply to get Selinger to Germany, but now he's the English fop's only hope for getting out of Germany alive. For the second time in his career, but not the last, Harrison Ford knocks out a Nazi and takes his uniform, as Halloran and Selinger walk into German high command to get a secret file from a safe. But as easy as that sounds, it doesn't go well. Trained in safe cracking, Selinger is shocked to find they've changed the safe he trained on, so he moves to his backup plan, asking for it. When that doesn't work, they move to Harrison Ford's plan. Punch the son of a bitch, take the list and run. They get away to a French underground safe house. In a moment of respite before the next bout of running and falling, Halloran and Selinger share with each other stories of the women they love. Coincidentally, they're both brunette nurses named Margaret that look like Leslie Ann Down. But since Halloran isn't the screenwriter of Hanover Street, this coincidence isn't lost on him. The Germans discover where they're hiding, sending Selinger and Halloran on the run once again. And for the first time, but not the last, Harrison Ford and an old man are chased through the countryside on a motorcycle by Nazis. They arrive at a suspended footbridge connecting occupied France to the Allies. But before they can both get across, Salinger is shot and falls a few meters from enemy troops. 
Halloran could easily just let him die and live happily ever after with Margaret, but realizing that would be the worst ending ever, he runs back into enemy fire to save the husband of the woman he loves. So, you know, Hanover Street. But before Halloran can get to him, an explosion cuts the rope bridge in half, causing, for the first time in his career, but not the last, Harrison Ford to dangle over a ravine on a broken suspension bridge. Harrison Ford saves the day, because that's his new thing. And back at the hospital, Halloran and Margaret's eyes meet across a long hallway and run towards each other for longer than you'd expect. Either a misjudgment on how long the hallway was, or, again, Hanover Street. Despite the fact that he's way hotter now that he's saved her husband, who's also lost some hot points by needing to be saved, virtuous-ass Harrison Ford says Selinger's a good man and he can't get in the way. So, Halloran walks away and never looks back. Uh, okay. The movie ends with Harrison Ford wearing a cap that looks more Brando than military, pops the collar on his long overcoat, lights a cigarette, and struts down Hanover Street, showing Harrison Ford has got iconic to spare. And Hanover Street, nervous that you might be missing its subtle point, sounds like this. And if you don't think it closes with a big THE END in big curly Q letters, then you don't know Hanover Street. Please will applaud. Adam, come on, what a hero, right? <laughs> oh my god, there's literally a monologue in this movie about how Harrison Ford, you're the hero type. Yeah. I'm not the hero type. Yeah. Harrison Ford, you are the person everyone thinks of when they think of a hero. When they think of Christopher Plummer, they don't think of a hero. Yeah, but, but at this point... They have that conversation. But at this point, of course, we don't know. He comes out of Star Wars with heroes, Force 10, and Hanover Street. He's not guaranteed to be the biggest you know, box office sensation in history. So, but, no, so Christopher Plummer's true. saying that, but we're like... But is that going to stick? And of course it does. But we don't know. I mean, back then, no one knows at the time. It's fascinating to watch. This is, for all intents and purposes, the first Harrison Ford movie, right? Yeah. He's not paired up with Robert Shaw. You know, he's the man. Rufus, he's the man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the year was 1979. We'll go back. And it was released May 18th. And yet it was a bomb. $8 million budget. Only earned about one to three million, depending on what your source is. I saw a couple different ones online. Yeah, so like I said, first big test out of the gate, kind of post Star Wars, you know, because Heroes he shot before Star Wars. Force 10. Yeah. I, I can't remember what kind of a hit, I think, but this not. It's like, uh oh. Is he going to stumble? Is he going to go the way of Mark Hamill? Will the franchise supersede all the stars who were in it? But no, they, I mean, clearly he gets back on his feet. But uh, yeah, not, not this one. I mean, for May, too, you know, like right before. It's May 18th, right before Memorial Day. You had Memorial Day for people to pour in. They didn't. May have had no reason to be in May except that Harrison Ford is in it. You yeah. Know? You want to see more Han Solo? Want to see Han Solo in a, in a, be a pilot again? And so how many times has he been a pilot now? Twice, right? This is his second pilot role? Uh, he's, yeah. he's a pilot in Force 10. Oh, he is? Oh, well, then, of course, the Millennium Falcon. No, I didn't think he piloted in, in that. Millennium Falcon. And Millennium Falcon, yeah. Third movie. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you've written the script. You're looking for an actor. And just Harrison Ford just fits the bill to a T. He's a pilot. He's a, you know, handsome lead. He's never felt fallen in love on screen before, you know, but it's not a risk. Yeah, it's, a, you know, this typecast him again as a pilot in movies and in life. So <laughs> he eventually became that guy. <laughs> but I need to check in with you on this because for me, this was another one of those HBO staples. Uh, I saw Han Solo, you know, when I was seven and I just needed to see more Han Solo. So what was out there? You know, you had... 
you had we watched before Forrest Stem from Navarone, and we had Hanover Street. Soon the Frisco Kid comes out, and they just search for these movies. And lo and behold, it was on all the time. So I'm like, yeah, we just go watch some more Harrison Ford. And so I would, you know, in this movie. But I, is this your first time seeing this? This is my first time. Wow. And I didn't have cable until 1988, but I totally recognize that instinct of like, if, if, if Han Solo's in it, I'm watching it because what was on TV all the time was forced down from Navarone. Um, but no, I'd never seen this before. This is, and so this is coming straight Ford Fiesta. This is Harrison Ford's, you know, next movie after heroes for me and just watching his career blossom here as this is some major Harrison Ford going on in this movie. Yeah, it's uh, again why we're doing this show. I mean, there's, I mean, I've I've seen this, but there's still plenty to catch up, you know, going forward. Um, I keep always bringing up paranoia, but <laughs> who remembers that that was a movie? Him and Gary Oldman reunited from Air Force One, but that's a movie. But it's that's it is. Uh, but I've never seen it. anyway. I can't wait. I can't. There's so many I can't wait to get to because I haven't seen them in a long time, or don't, or haven't seen them at all. They're frankly all exciting. I'm so excited about Mosquito Coast. And, you know, not a lot of people have ever said that sentence. That movie's fantastic, too. So say, say what you will, goofers. Uh, but this last night we went to see a Steve Martin double feature at the New Beverly Cinema here in Hollywood. Right. One of the great theaters in the country. We're so lucky. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and The Man With Two Brains. Now, the thing about it is I remember Man With Two Brains as being this flat-out hilarious comedy. I was excited to see it again. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I'm like, I kind of remember that. But then as the movie played out, every bit they did, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that bit. Oh, I remember that line. Oh, I remember that sequence. And and so, uh, you know, I continue to goof on Terre Haute to this day because of that movie. Damn. They were just about to get a public library. <laughs> they just got in a public library. Um, <laughs> but this movie was the same way. Like, I, as it went along, I was like, oh, I remember the sequence with the uh, you know, where the, with the engine. And I remember the sequence where they have their first tea. And I remember, that's right, they're supposed to meet every week at this place. And, or every, and so uh, it slowly just kind of played itself back through my memory as I was watching it, which was really cool. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's all brand new to me. Uh, and it is just what a joy this movie is because it's basically named for its meet-cute location, you know? And, you know, and they're like don't know each other's names, but they know they can meet on Hanover street and they do again. And I mean, there's even one where he goes and waits for her and they show the passage of time by the amount of cigarettes he's stubbing out. (laughs) It dissolves to, uh, you know, six cigarettes at his feet. And then like it dissolves again to, uh, 20 of them and a pack being dropped, (laughs) you know, like waiting for her. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's uh, almost admirable how unapologetically romantic, this movie is not just about the romance, but about the era, about war, about films from that era. Right. In fact, this is Wikipedia says this is based on a movie called Waterloo Bridge from the 40s. And which is guess what Waterloo Bridge is? The place where the war lovers meet every oh, once, you know, every routinely to have their okay. affair. Peter Hyams, writer, director, kind of pulled his own thing out there. And anytime he can be sweeping, he's like, action. Right. <laughs> and, and also the John Barry music. I mean, it's like, you want sweeping. You uh, want sweeping. Yeah. I don't love No, him. I don't. I, I mean, don't I really love his, bond, his work at Bond, but man, I just saw Somewhere in Time after... For the first time, after everybody goes on about what a great movie that is, and man, is that score overwrought. And if I needed the same thing here, kind of, um, you know, he won Oscars for Born Free, Out of Africa, The Lion, and went to Dances with Wolves, which I'd have to, (laughs) which I'd have to revisit though, because I remember loving Dances with Wolves. And if that score was as repetitive as this one, I'd be like, why did I love that movie so much? Because 
Yeah, he just kind of does the same theme over and over again, and he can't score an action sequence. No, no, no. It's not in his DNA, and he he has no interest in that, you know? Yeah, John Barry... He actually kind of sucks. I just don't get, I don't really give a, I mean, he doesn't suck, but, but you know what? He is clearly from another era. The, the fact that John Williams did Star Wars in this classic orchestra style was the antithesis of say Shaft or, or you know, scores at that time had gotten down to, you know, three piece, a three piece band, you know, a, a lot of bass and a lot of, or a keyboard or that sort of thing. So the fact that John Williams had this full orchestra was a, a big radical thing for Star Wars. But the real radical thing is because John Barry has a full orchestra here, but what, Clearly, yeah. <laughs> none of them take a break you know, the whole. and using every string in it. But what what was big and different about Star Wars also is that if you had a big orchestra score like this, the person would write one theme and that theme would be played every five minutes. The entire movie, every five minutes. We've already seen a couple movies in this where it's that classic one theme thing. Composer got paid for one piece of music and stretched that out over the, the running time. And that was just standard, you know, I mean, you know, like Casablanca or, or whatever. It's like you're going to hear that theme over and over and over. You're not going <laughs> to hear a whole bunch of you put in Star Wars. There is a there is a theme that could be the theme of an entire movie. There are 12 of those in Star Wars, you know? Like, yeah, that's a theme for just that sequence, just the Tatooine right. sequence, you know? is it's Yeah, I mean, it was, like, yeah. tremendously overreaching. So this is actually what's more standard, even when you go back to classical sounding. Yeah, But the music, when they meet uh, and and talk about their romance, the main Leslie Ann Down and Harrison Ford, it's that... You know, it's like this... Yeah. And then when Christopher Plummer gets on a phone call with her later, it's the same theme. So yeah, to your point, it's like, right. why didn't the film? Why didn't John Barry go? Hey, maybe that should be different music. Instead, it's like the same. If John Williams did this, Harrison Ford would have a theme. Leslie and Down would have a theme. Christopher Plummer would have a theme. Yeah. The Nazis would have their own theme. The no, Americans would have their own theme. The bombing squad would have its own theme. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, uh, yeah, it's very Douglas Sirk. Now that I think about it, because oh. didn't Elmer Bernstein do the. Far from Heaven score. Yeah, I bet he when, did. And that 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 uh, Dennis Quaid, Julianne Moore movie was trying to be like an old imitation of life type Douglas Sirk movie. Right. And he and I think he knocked that sort of aping of that kind of score out of the park. Barry just lives in it. <laughs> he, he does. He just this is his thing. <laughs> he does make up for lost time because he oh, gets yes. his first kiss and then he's full on just in the bed with Leslie oh, Ann Down shirtless. They're, they're getting it done. Yeah, and she's yeah. shirtless and it's a whole uh, sex scene. I think. But then again, you think about his career. Harrison Ford doesn't have too many sex scenes. He no. has one with Greta Skocki coming up in Presumed Innocent. Okay. Um, they get it on on a desk. But that is that it? Like, he wasn't like Michael Douglas, who, in Disclosure and Fatal Attraction, oh, Basic Instinct, he's always, you know, because they're, i got to imagine, similar age. Yeah, based on his output, you would think the most desirable male on the history of the Earth during that period that Michael yeah. <laughs> that Michael Douglas is in those movies. Like, oh, the hottest guy in America? No, 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 he wasn't even in the top 20. He just was having sex on screen <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, before it didn't quite do that. So this is, like, early and then... 
you know, Blade Runner doesn't call for it and Witness doesn't call it, you know, so he kind of just let that go for a while. He doesn't really uh, have to weigh out the two sides of Harrison Ford as the on-screen lover and the action guy. He's just the action guy, really, most of it, you know. The- and it wasn't until those sequences in, in bed where I could see Leslie Ann Downs' wedding ring. Oh, now, when did so she he bring must up, have known. When did she bring up to him that she was married? I mean, it's in a later sequence when she's got his head on his chest and says, talks about her husband. Right. But I forget when she admitted that she was married to him. I don't remember if there's even a scene of that. I just noticed the ring and went, does he not see the ring? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or does he not care? Clearly he doesn't care. You're right. He, she had a ring and they've obviously had conversations because there's a lot of dissolves in this movie. You know, they dissolve from yeah. uh, the restaurant to the Jeep. And so yeah. a lot of us transpired in between these dissolves. <laughs> and then you have the, uh, uh, you know, she had a ring and he had in bed holding her a cigarette which is also a sign of the 79s and the 40s, I assume. So right. He's got his arms around her. They're both topless in bed with the sheet up, and he's cigarette. Like, that's just that's just old school. You, if you're going to get this much uh, smoke in every room that everybody's in in this movie and this <laughs> much diffused lighting, you're going to need to smoke a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't show the fog machine. Let's just assume it's smoke. John, John Barry's music is basically the musical equivalent of soft focus photography of soft. Because <laughs> this whole movie is soft AF. Yeah. I mean, they must have ran through all the, every bit of pantyhose in, in uh, England shooting this movie. I mean, there is not a single non-diffused shot. And speaking of England, I love the formal gentlemanly way. That plumber and what is it? Major Trumbo and his, yeah. and his counterpart sort of plan war strategy. Yeah. Just sitting around a room, like, what about Wells? Seems like a good chap. Yeah, perhaps we send him over. Send him over over the enemy lines. Pip, pip. I think he'd do quite well. I should train him a bit more. You know, like it's so gentlemanly. Yeah, and the guy's always going on about. It. He's he's always smoking a pipe and always going on about hmm, this tobacco is not that great. Let's stop by the tobacconist. <laughs> they are very British. They're play. They're they're you know fighting a guy on the other side who's like. How would we? How did we possibly beat him? He decides to go on this spy mission because he doesn't feel like he's much of a man compared to the other people out there. And it's, it's almost funny. It's like, it's like he knows she's having an affair with Harrison Ford of all people, and he's like, I better get out there and do some action. Don't you, don't, don't you know what he will become? <laughs> I must get in oh there my and God. prove my manliness. Oh, my wife is betting down Han Solo. I better go on a mission. But if you had, if you were told, <laughs> hey, listen. You, you, there's a girl out there who likes you, but she also likes Harrison Ford. You better go up and prove your manliness. You would just stand down, right? Right, you right, right. You would just stand down. Now I'm going to take the afternoon off and go to a Steve Martin double feature, I think. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'll f- maybe I'll meet a girl there who won't be so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe. <laughs> so with that love triangle, here are some of the taglines for the movie. Well, first of all, love hasn't been like this since 1943. That's the big one right above the oh, top of the, the poster. Okay, okay. You know, it's funny that... This movie is 41 years old. Okay. And it's portraying a time that was only 36 years previous. Wow. So we're now further removed wow. from the movie than the movie was from the time period. Oh, that fascinating. Is. Fascinating crazy? analysis. Well, and I got to assume, I have to assume, based on what you just said there, also that catch, that uh, tagline, that World War II movies must have been out at this point. Like World War II movies, that was a genre that was so strong in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Then we start to hit the... Uh, the the time of the movie brats and Easy Rider and the big thing was that the, those old genres weren't 
playing anymore. And so that the movie brats were actually going back to even older genres like sci-fi and gangster, you know, more 30s uh, and, and 40s type genres. But the idea of a prestige World War II movie, which this is totally mimicking the classic prestige. I mean, this, that's what the soft focus photography is and, and what all of and the John Barry music and all of the this must have been a return to form for a genre, you know? Yeah, Peter Hyams trying to be David Lean here. He is, yeah. (laughs) Not trying to be uh, Coppola or anyone else who, or or Hal Ashby, who had already moved on to Right. You know, we're going to take on Vietnam, and that's not going to be romantic in the least. But Peter Himes like, I still want to be romantic about war. Oh, and that's that's a good point, too, is because uh, this is the major era of now we're starting to deal with Vietnam in movies. And one of the reasons that, George Lucas wanted to make Star Wars was because in post-Vietnam, all the movies are about Vietnam in some way. It's usually theme. You know, all of a sudden war was verboten. There was nothing romantic about war post-Vietnam. So yeah, this is, and and you know what? That's probably why it bombed. You know, people are just like, no, I'm done with war. I don't, and I don't want to see it glamorized, frankly, four years after Vietnam. Ended. Yeah, the John Wayne era, too, had been well-retired of, like, Green Berets and all the rah-rah World War II heroics that he used to have. It's like, nah, we need our heroes more complicated now, like Martin Sheen and Deer Hunter. Yeah, yeah I find that fascinating about Green Berets, that it was trying to do a classic rah-rah World War II movie for John Wayne to go, let's get in there and get those Viet Cong. <laughs> You're like, nah, I don't know if this works the same way it does for Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, in the middle of it all is this affair. And now I know the heart wants what the heart wants, but should we be excited about this affair? It's an interesting, complicated movie in that, you know, it's like, oh, she's cheating on him. That's not good. But it's Harrison Ford. We like him. But yeah. This shouldn't happen, should it? But I want, I like to see him happy, but they have a child. This is bad. Oh, but look at the, you know, yeah. <laughs> like they're both so handsome. And no, I don't like Christopher Plummer, but she's sticking the mud. You know, so you just go back and forth all the time about uh, those kind of movies are always complicated when they're yeah. a love story, but the love story is already <laughs> like infidelity. You take the soft focus photography out, you take John Barry out, and you don't have the romance of this affair. I mean, we're swept up in it because it's so romantic. It's dripping with romance at all the corners, you know, because if you take those two things out and you're like, oh, she's cheating on her husband. You know, I mean, that's that's I guess that's the (laughs) any movie that has that as a theme has to deal with that. But she gets slack because it's so romantic and he's so Harrison Ford. We, of course, give the whole damn thing a pass because it's just exciting to see Harrison Ford. Yeah, as a romantic lead, his first romantic lead. In fact, when he's she's laying on his chest in bed, the close-up of Harrison Ford is unlike anything we've ever seen. He is bathed in this perfect sunlight. Again, soft-focus photography. And it is the classic Harrison Ford. I mean, he's just going to get older from here on out. I mean, it's just, this is like the classic Harrison Ford. Even by the time we get to Jedi, he's becoming older. He's starting to gain a little weight, you know, whatever. But this is the classic Harrison Ford. I think we're having a love affair with Harrison Ford. Is that why we're doing this show? I think we love him. We absolutely are. I mean, I'm just in love when he shows up. I mean, I'm in love when he shows up in Getting Straight, but I mean, now the movie, the movies are in love with Harrison Ford finally. Yes. You know? And so the movies are in love with him. I mean, that opening scene where they meet on Hanover Street is so delightful. And he gets to be such a delightful Harrison Ford. You know, all the smiles and the little comebacks and all these little things. It's just, it's, 
it's wonderful. And he pretends to have a limp and then she feels bad because she shined him on and then he smiles back. I mean, it's just charming, charming, charming. You put James Caan in this role. It doesn't turn out very charming. No, but, no it does not. <laughs> you know, but Harrison Ford is <laughs> killing it with the charm. Well, speaking of which, uh, early cast in this, Chris Christopherson. Am I the only one who's just like bored by that guy's entire career? So boring. Like, so boring. Like, he's not exceptional anyway. He's passable. Yeah. Like he's good in Blade as that sure. guy. But like running a whole film, like I, you know, I just I never saw him as being. And he he passed to eventually go do a concert tour. So that's cool. And then Genevieve Bujold was cast as well. She left. Sarah Miles was cast. Uh, but left because Christofferson did and then didn't get the chance to play opposite Harrison Ford. But I just don't see all the things we're talking about now with Ford's, you know, movie star close up and smile and quirks. I just don't see Christofferson doing any of that. No, they must have also wanted to cast Ryan O'Neill because they wanted to recast him and everything at this time, too. And I also don't get the appeal of Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> That's a very, yeah, very OK casting choice for what an okay actor what a wet paper plate (laughs) of a casting choice right (laughs) come on (laughs) so peter hyams you know he's if you know him and i and we do as as movie guys uh he made i know him from outland in 2010 of course he went on to make like running scared and some other stuff but for sci he had a big sci-fi run with outland in 2010 and time cop eventually uh but he he made his so but to get this to the screen he had to make capricorn one and have it be a hit first so he wrote this. He couldn't get it made. Uh, he had written the movie Telephone, Telephone, whatever oh, telefo- it's called. Yeah, it it's is like called Telephone. It's spelled movie. with an F, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't able to direct it. So Capricorn 1 got him to be like, to get the mojo to be able to make this film. And his wife said if he sold the script and didn't make it himself, she'd leave him. So there's romance all over this movie. Even behind wow. The scenes. <laughs> so uh, Capricorn one. Now that is that the one with OJ Simpson? Yes. Okay. And James Caan? Yeah. Or is that landing type thing? That movie, right? Think, yeah. Oh, and so that's seventies paranoia. That's a paranoid thriller because it's they fake the moon landing and then yes. everybody has to be killed if they're going to let anybody know, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So Hyams, you know, he, I guess he made a movie called Peeper, which I've never heard of in '75, and it tanked. One. And so he had a wife and two kids, got desperate, started writing, sold Telephone, but then his wife said, "Sell Hanover Street," and I'm out. So she, he went, "All right, I'll see if I can direct it." Capricorn one uh, let him do that, and so good for him because he put out a whole, you know, slew of good stuff back in the '80s. Yeah, I first heard his name for 2010 because you're like, "Wow, who's taking over for Kubrick?" I right? Mean, even as a young kid, I kind of recognized that, like, "Wow," uh, you know. I don't even know if I'd seen 2001 completely, but I'm just like, "That's a big, that's a tall order." I had a friend named Eric all the way through high school. If he saw a movie he liked, he said he got 2010 chills. Because he loved really? 2010, the year we make contact so much. I'm wow. like, you sure you don't mean 20, 2001 chill? <laughs> and I guess, you know, to, sign of the times, he was not that old. So I don't yeah. even know if he saw the first one, but he thought 2010 was just a stroke of genius. So. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe it's worth a rewatch. I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, I've always I've always wanted to rewatch that because at the time, I'm pretty sure I saw 2010 before I really, before I fully saw 2001 and certainly before I got 2001 to the degree that that movie can be gotten. And Adam, are you, are you as pissed as I am that they used a B-25 bomber, although those weren't really in England uh, in use during the World War II. <laughs> I I was just like, come on! I could I wanted to turn off the on, movie. Give us the real bombers that we're supposed to have. I wanted to turn off the movie, but instead I turned to IMDb and complained. Is that where you're reading that from? <laughs> and there's no Hanover Street tube stop. There's no, come on. not a single Hanover Street tube stop. <laughs> That's not where Paddington showed up. 
<laughs> he showed up at Paddington. Oh, that's why he's Otherwise, named that. Is, is, uh, we have a bear named Hanover. We have a bear named Hanover. <laughs> and Hanover 2, the movie that everybody can't stop talking about. Yeah, well, I should eventually <laughs> see one day. Uh, anyway, other fun facts. John Ratzenberger's in this, but did you recognize him? Didn't see John Ratzenberger. He's in the, he's in the, uh, the plane team. He's in the flight team. Oh, okay. But I didn't see him. Well, and William Hootkins is in this, too, according to IMDb. How great was that? I, I I haven't seen him outside of a Harrison Ford movie. Uh, yeah, William Hootkins now has been in two Harrison Ford movies. And uh, in the next movie that Harrison Ford is in after Apocalypse Now, uh, John Ratzenberger will be in that as well. Yeah. And, 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 and combine and, that with the number of Imperial officers and rebel pilots in Force 10 from Navarone. In, in these three movies, <laughs> he's like a, surrounded right. by Star Wars cast members. Hootkins plays a tremendously cavalier dick. Oh, what like, a dick. He, the way he describes that the death of the other soldiers. Yeah. Guy, couldn't find any pieces left all night. I mean, I was shocked. I was like, are, are, you, are you for America? <laughs> but that's great casting if you need that guy to be. Cavalier because he plays it so well eventually in Raiders. So this might have got him that uh, yeah, job. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's he's like, oh, it's a good thing you weren't flying or you would have crashed and died like him. <laughs> like, what are you laughing at? Uh, and then we have Patsy Kensett uh, as the young daughter of Margaret. That's and nuts. Paul Sillinger. Yeah, you texted me. Hey, it's just... yeah. You texted me. Hey, it's Riggs' girlfriend. And I was like, <laughs> did I miss her? And then, because I, I saw on IMDb that she was in this movie, and I was waiting for her to show up, and I was like, then I had to look, and I'm like, oh, it's the daughter. I didn't recognize that as Patsy yes, Kensett. She <laughs> got tremendously uh, mature and gorgeous in the ten years that followed. Yeah, <laughs> before Lethal Weapon two in eighty nine, this was seventy nine. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, but perhaps too precocious. What a British kid! She's what super a British. British kid. <laughs> Papa, can we? Can we crumpets and teas and crumpets? <laughs> Can we ta-ta? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but who knew she went on to have turbulent marriages with Dan Donovan of Big Audio Dynamite, Jim Kerr, remember from Simple Minds, Liam Gallagher from Oasis, and her dad was supposedly associated with the craze. Well, I mean, look, you know, we saw Patsy Kensett show up in 1989, splash onto the scene. I mean, if you were in a, a rock band, wouldn't you be aiming for her? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I believe all of those guys uh, tried to get Patsy Kensett once they had uh, cashed in their uh, fame card. To, to... Uh, and then Richard Mazur, yeah. the bombardier, who I always like in everything. I remember him from The Thing, Shoot oh, to yeah. Kill, One Day at a Time. Yeah, I, I do like him. I think he's funny and he... It's a funny role. He's uh, such a that uh, guy. Like he shows up yeah. to this and I go, what is his name? And yeah. immediately go look it up. I'm like, Jesus, I know him from everything. Yeah. Every line that is an important, you know, mission based military line. He's got a comedy line to he's follow. A it, you total know? comic relief. Yeah. But that was interesting to see because these, this bombing crew, you know, it's got Harrison Ford and some other guy in the pilot and co-pilot and then below them in the nose gun and also running back to do bombing missions and stuff is Richard Masur. So, you know, looking at the front of the plane, you've got this triangle of people that are always going to have to be interacting. It was a really fun, you know, playing around and interacting. And yes, everything that got said, Richard Masur had to have a funny line. I wouldn't want his part though on a plane though, that bombardier out front in the glass. Like, just, but uh, I would, vomit all the time yeah yeah exactly <laughs> nothing but a glass and and the first thing bullets have an opportunity to hit is you <laughs> there's something so classic i mean i'm talking like plan nine from outer space like when they when they put together the cockpit shot for plan nine from outer space you know they've got the two little wheel things and, and it's just when you see harrison ford sitting in that 
seat, that iconic type of seat. I just think that's just so... Harrison Ford dresses up like a Nazi for the first time in his life, or did he have to dress up in Force 10 uh, like the enemy? I think he did, didn't he? Uh, yeah, pro- I mean, so I think we, we've got a career where he dresses up like Nazis at least five times. <laughs> and <laughs> I said one time in Random Hearts, and I thought that was just odd. That was but, weird. Okay. That was weird. <laughs> and for the bedroom scene, I mean, it must have been her thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love my favorite line. You die on me and I'll kill you. <laughs> That's <laughs> I awesome. I like that line. <laughs> in this romantic movie about this love triangle, that... Christopher Plummer and Harrison Ford get shot down behind enemy lines or, well, in occupied France. And, uh, you know, they, they have to do all kinds of uh, army stuff. They get to, you know, shoot some people. They get to dress up like Nazis and go in and uh, crack the safe and have to escape the place. And there's an alarm. They're on motorcycles, which felt very, especially the scene where they stop before they go to the Gestapo, felt just like a uh, uh, Last Crusade, when they have that little conversation before they go into Berlin, you know? Yeah, there was another moment like that when he pulls up in the motorcycle and he's like, get on! Yeah! Like, <laughs> hey, I'm like, come on, Dad! Like that whole, they had that old vibe where he yell, yells at the guy who's not as good at him as him at doing the thing he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and all the, the Harrison Ford, there's so many shouts and that tone of voice, he's really coming into his own now of like, you can hear... The Harrison Ford deliveries you love from other movies in this movie and Force Ten. I just, I just love that. <laughs> Son of a bitch! Like the laugh he had, he has that laugh in this movie, and it leads to a boring conversation anyway. Type punch to the face, and then we get, of course, a couple, a couple of good punches. Right. <laughs> this isn't working out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He punches the guy. That's so good. That's so good. I mean, it's really Harrison Ford. Like he really gets to Harrison Ford up in this movie that is not trying to be anything. You know, this romantic, classic World War II ripping yawn, you know, but he gets to Harrison Ford up in this thing. Yeah, I think that's what saved it for me when I was a kid, because I would see all the icky, gooey, romantic stuff. But then, oh, next thing you know, they're fighting Nazis. And I thought that was cool. So I'd keep tuning in. It's like, good, they let Harrison Ford be Harrison Ford and not totally, you know, switch uh, to uh, some other type of actor, which, you know, I, now I've, I'm fine with. But back then I was like, no, we'll have them beat up people. Well, that's what I was surprised at because you said you would always watch this on cable. And I was like, in my mind, I hadn't seen this movie yet. I was like, I thought this was just a pure romance at, at the time of war, you know, two, two souls at a time of war trying to come together. I had no idea there was something in it for, you know, 10-year-old Paul Preston as well. <laughs> because Force 10 from Navarone, there's a lot in that for an 8-year-old, you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, dude loses his head by a wire that was cool that was so cool here are here are ford and leslie and down's thoughts leslie and down says i expected it to be sweet sickly and over the top and it was <laughs> and she's right right ford ford said he said he accepted the role because i'd never played a love scene in all my years in the movies i thought that the part would help me grow but i hated making that film from start to finish oh wow he said he never saw the film they wanted me to promote it but they wouldn't show it to me and i'd never pay to see it it was a terrible experience jeez what a grump I, I got to find out where that was quoted, but that's Wikipedia. You know, they do kind of do their research, you know. And but he has the exact same opinion about this that he has for Force 10 from Navarone. Okay. Well, Vincent Canby backs him up from the New York Times, right? Every now and then a film comes along of such painstaking, overripe foolishness that it breaks through the garbage barrier to become one of those rare movies you rush to see for laughs. Ouch. What? And Variety uh, said the film is reasonably effective as a war film with a love story background. Unfortunately, it's meant to be a love story set against a war background. 
Ah, uh, really? Those are weird oh, reviews, never. actually. Those are that, both. That second, the variety one is super weird. Super like, weird. Okay, but whichever of those things you think it is, is it good? That's what. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, some some reviews just reek of being written before they went to go see the movie. And it's like, well, I can yeah. see that's what you would want to say about this movie and would tune out because you just think this movie sucks before the credits even start. I hated Star Wars. and I'm going to make sure all the those involved with it will have failed careers, you know? So, yeah. And, and also, kind of thing. I think that I think the, the criticism you could level at this movie is that it's there's something fairly plain Jane about it. And then they do this and then they do that. No uh, expense was incurred in getting a lot of locations for this movie. I mean, a lot of locations take place in the cockpit, in the briefing room, in the OSS room. Uh, you know, I mean, and they in the on Hanover Street and in that in a restaurant and they just go back and they go one, two, three, four, five with those yeah. one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five for the first 45 minutes of this movie before we get a separate location. So I could see someone criticizing that this movie is, um, I guess, a little dull. I'm, I'm excited because it's Harrison Ford and I'm watching his career, but I could see people going, wow, this is just wanted to be a big ass World War Two movie. They didn't have the budget. They they did a really kind of half ass one, and uh, I could see them thinking that. But I that's guess not, I mean that's the, not what can be bombing, said. The bombing of London at the top of that was pretty intense, I thought. And then, uh, you know, I, I I mean they shot over a real Royal Air Force base, you know, with real planes. Yeah, a lot of those sequences, and the fact the film, you know, who loves the film? Who? If it's not Vincent Canby or Variety. Aviation enthusiasts. Oh, oh yes. Oh, they would. There's some kind of like, uh, like it's it's in their wheelhouse. You know, and I thought that that very first time they take off in the airfield and it's shot so that they're coming over a little rise and all the 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 fumes from the engines and stuff are making it all look, uh, you know, uh, uh, heat like heat coming off the road and everything. That that first time, I'm just like, this is World War II airplane porn. And, and, and it's and it shot so lovingly until they get in the air and then they have to go back to their budget restraints, like shaking the camera. And then, of course, IMDb makes the point that Ford has never fought the Japanese army. If Ford's fighting in World War II, it's Nazis. It's Nazis. Oh, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Never fights the Italians, never fights the Japanese. Could have used him in Schindler's List. That's all I'm saying. If, they, I mean, if Schindler thinks he saved people, man, Indiana Jones could have. Anyway, think of all the kids he saved in Temple of Doom. I'm just saying. That really could have worked. I mean, it really would have changed the mood of that movie, but I think it could have worked. And you got Spielberg. I mean, oh, and, and go, by the way, going back to your last point that you would watch this for entertainment, I always assumed that was the equivalent of the fact that I would watch, uh, because I love Christopher Reeve so much, that I would watch uh, Death Trap. Now, Death Trap is a great movie. Death Trap is actually quite enjoyable. But going to see that because you like Christopher Reeve because he's Superman is weird. I, I thought that would be the equivalent for this one. It's like going to see switching channels because you like Superman. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> makes no sense. But fun thing. So I'm I'm getting all the feels from Temple of Doom. You know, they have that talk much like he does with his dad. You've got motorcycles with sidecars. You've got, you know, German vehicles. Oh, last Crusade. Or Last yeah. Crusade. Right, right. Uh, but then at the end, they're on the run from the Germans who discovered them hiding out in a barn in occupied France. But there is a resistance base. The channel, there's like a river. And how is that bridged is with a, a, a suspension bridge. 
So here you have, and this is, I mean, this is a one-to-one Temple of Doom moment that right. the, the suspension bridge collapses. Uh, uh, Christopher Plummer's holding on to it and Indiana Jones has to save him while the British troops are shooting from one shoreline to the other shoreline. I enjoyed the shit out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was going last crusade and then switched all Temple of Doom. It went and Temple then, of Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, that was so much fun. Okay, go ahead. What was the next? And God topic? bless his heroic ass. He walks away like uh, a man right. does the right thing. You love somebody, set them free. Sting. So there you go. Christopher Plummer never <laughs> finds out that Harrison Ford and her were lovers. That's very polite and gentle of this movie. And I thought for sure at some point this would have become that drama. But instead they take care of all of that in the battlefield, which is nice. Christopher Plummer gives Harrison Ford his watch and he goes, here's my Margaret. And, you know, he picks it up and looks at it. And we never see the photo. But obviously we know that this is it. And this is how he realizes that that is her husband. We don't even see Christopher Plummer. We see him get pulled off the the field by Harrison Ford but then after that we never see him we see Harrison Ford and her in the uh in the hallway and he says this this is how this works I walk away that's it there's just like no discussion but even more uh you know manly doing the right thing moves uh come on that bridge could let him die could let him die myself got the woman all to myself but he doesn't. No. Because he's the man. He's, he's a the hero. hero. He's the best. Yeah. He walks out of the hospital. He walks down Hanover Street and then comes up the classic font of the end, much like the classic font at the opening of this. Oh, yeah. Complete with uh, complete with scroll at the top. Like, and it was a time of courage and honor, of passion and sacrifice. Right. This is the story of two people swept up in that time, who, f- who met and fell in love, etc. You know, it's like, yeah. They just romance beginning to end of this whole freaking movie. But in the middle of it all, in the given list of Harrison Ford definitive uh, essentials, did he find time for righteous anger? He sure did. Yeah, and you even pulled a clip of it already and sent it to me. I heard it. I heard it. It's it's a point and a shout with righteous anger. I mean, it's a threefer. Yeah. When he finds out that his plane, uh, that the, the the plane that he thought was faulty and where, why he didn't fly the mission killed another soldier. He runs out to the airfield to the guy repairing the, the thing and, and starts uh, yelling at him. He points It's happening twice. behind you again. I don't know how you're doing this. Holy crap. It's happening behind you. Oh, my God. It's queued up. <laughs> yeah. This is why my favorite new thing doing streams is leaving media on in the background because you're right. There it is. And here's the second point. Yeah, he breaks free. Let me point one more time. And I got to tell you. you know, I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. You don't get this good a point with a shout with righteous anger until the fugitive. Like that is absolutely marquee. The reason we're keeping track of this uh, witness. Oh, you'll right. get, you'll get one at witness at the end. Yeah. That's How many right. more people have to, I think there's pointing, but he gets right in the, you know, his bosses. But yeah. this one, man, I mean, it is just, and it is that voice, that righteous anger voice. And, and that shaky point, he doesn't point and stop. Right. He points and he has a little wiggle to his fingers. He's all fired up. You. Yeah. He's got the whole thing in this movie. Oh, it's so good. And he gives another one later. uh, As soon as, you know, they're both dressed uh, dressed like Nazis and they say, yeah, we're going to go into Lyon, I think it was, where the main Gestapo headquarters was. Right. And he pulls over and he says, you've got a right to get yourself killed, but you don't have a right to get me. And he's pointing. He's pointing. Christopher Palmer's face. Friend, you got a perfect right to get yourself killed if that's what you want, and I've got a right to stay alive. And so, you know, check and check. And that's two right. Big and, points. and two big points with righteous anger, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. He wasn't quite as loud with that one. No. But I. But that's I would the, say there's some. I heard it. It's just the best. That is. Oh my God. Fire! Fire! <laughs> Damn it! Fire! So smile and charm. Yes, he has to have that in order. Oh my to move God. Leslie and down. So much smile and charm. Uh, and does he get hit? Uh, no. He pretty much just is a winning hero guy this time. So, but he does hit two different Nazis. He does punching Nazis, Captain America style. Um. Once when he just had enough of playing along with a, a ruse, he was trying to keep up pretending to be a Oh, Nazi. that's such a Harrison Ford moment. Like, ah, <laughs> yeah. the hell with it. <laughs> that's such a great moment, too, because they're undercover, and the other Nazi, you know, that, that they're in that place, they're trying to get to uh, figure out the safe. And also, you know, basically this movie sets itself up as a safe-cracking movie, and ultimately they just sneak in, let someone else open the safe, and then get the stuff out. You know, I thought that was kind of an interesting <laughs> subversion. But also kind of the stop short of being a great war movie or a great spy movie that this movie does pretty often. Yeah, well, they switch, they switch the va- they switch the, uh, the, the safes. They switch the samples! Oh, my God, yeah, that's... You switch the point. samples. I heard it. I heard it! You find this man. <laughs> you find this noise on this plane. You find this noise. <laughs> but the uh, Nazi, when when is standing behind him, and he's and he doesn't do a German accent. You know, I mean, Christopher Plummer's a spy. It's that's his job. He says whispers something in German to him, and and then he laughs, and Harrison Ford goes, "Oh, <laughs> yes." And the Nazi whispers something in German, and then laughs, and the Harrison Ford goes, ah. "And this time he's a little quicker, like, oh, oh, I'll just laugh," and that. You know, and then the third time the Nazi whispers something to him and he immediately turns and starts laughing, but the guy's not laughing and he's like, ah, the hell with it and punches him out. (laughs) It's so good. And it happened here first in Hanover Street. I did not think, you know, I'm looking at, you know, the the lovemaking scenes and stuff like that. I'm like, this is going to be a lot closer to like witness in some ways dramatically than it's going to be to have some classic Harrison Ford moments. But man, it ticked off some good boxes. He shoots two people. He shouts twice. And and points twice. Yeah, And points twice. Once with righteous anger. Twice with righteous anger out of three points. So the Harrison Ford punch count total for his career, 11 movies in, six. Six. Yeah, because three from Force 10 from Navarone, two from this, and of course, Jack Lemmon. And of course, Jack Lemmon. (laughs) So then that brings us to the question we ask all the time, how Harrison Ford is he in this? Wow. Okay, well, we've got some new Harrison Ford to deal with here uh, uh, because he is the romantic lead in this, and that is... That's not an essential, right? That does. If, if you see him in a pure romantic lead, you don't go, wow, that was so Harrison Ford. Yeah. In fact, many would say like his Six Days, Seven Nights, Sabrina, Random Hearts era is probably his least effective. Right. That's like 30% Harrison Ford in any of those movies. Maybe 20%. Yeah. Maybe less. So that doesn't necessarily boost up the percentage that he showed more of that here. Yeah. He's, he's more Harrison Ford in love than he is in uh, uh, Random Hearts, probably. Or not Random Hearts. You know, he's a cop in that, I think, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, Sabrina. Uh, not very Harrison Ford. So, okay, so we don't really care about the romantic lead part. That's not going to bump the percentage up. I mean, it, gives you, it gets you extra 10%, right? So it comes in with 10 just for being a romantic lead. Just, it gets 10. So it. Yeah. So is it six? Is he like running at seventy at like for everything else? So he puts in an eighty percent total Harrison Ford. I gotta say, this is still this is. I mean, the 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 Harrison Ford parts of this and the yeah, the army parts right. are really good. 
Yeah, it's like he doesn't even need to nurture it. Like already no. he's operating at a high Harrison Ford percentage. I mean, that's what's interesting. Like the la- the most Harrison Ford movies we've seen, I think, are Force Ten from Navarone and this, right? I mean, uh, obviously Star Wars, he's very Harrison Ford as well. But I- but I'm saying that the outliers that and 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 he's phoning these two movies in, like according to him. <laughs> yeah, and he is so Harrison Ford when he has to turn it on. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you get up to 80% of Harrison Ford, don't you think? Are we, are we, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with that number. Yeah. I'd say 80. I mean, what's a hundred? Is the Star Wars, do we give that a hundred? Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. He didn't kiss anybody. Yeah. That's the, he doesn't kiss anybody in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think we're going 80% Harrison Ford because when he turns it on and also the, all the hero talk is awesome. Like if just, you're the classic hero, you're the guy that saves the girl from drowning. Take a good look at yourself and you'll see a hero. That's a lot of crap. I'm not a hero and I don't want to be one. Even if you don't want to be one, you are. You can't help it. There it is. 80%, ladies and gentlemen. 80%. That's an 80% Harrison Ford going on. Go to Amazon Prime or you can check it out and make up a percentage for yourself. Of course, we say that now, but you know, streaming services are. Hopefully it's still there by the time you hear this and go want to check out Hanover Street yourself. Of course, if you have anything to say, uh, don't hesitate to chime in with us at The Movie Guys, everywhere on social media, and of course at themovieguys.net. So check back with the uh, the show. Next week, we're going to be covering Frisco Kid. I mean, talk about a diversion from the Harrison Ford. We're building up the brand. Now he's going to be in a comedy with Gene Wilder. Yeah, but back to a Western. Not ba- oh, right. I forgot he did that. Because I was talking about last time we covered his Western, so he doesn't do that again until there's aliens. But I forgot there's Gene Wilder. Oh, yeah, you're right. Boy, he's, it's got a lot of Western movies. I, I, don't, I think people... If you said, yeah, how many Westerns has Harrison Ford been in? People would say one, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it turns out it's five, I think. Um, yeah, so we're covering the Frisco Kid next week. And if you're just discovering this podcast, subscribe on iTunes and check back our back catalog. We've got we've now covered 11 Harrison Ford movies. We have no signs of stopping. And uh, check out the last week's episode, Heroes. Paul, did you hear that, uh, that uh, episode? I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> We're so dumb. Oh, it, it, truly. <laughs>